Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited to have Derek Depker on the show today. Derek is an author, speaker, trainer, and coach, and he's also someone who has crushed it in the self-publishing space and been able to generate a full-time living from his self-publishing. But he doesn't just live and die by that. He does a lot of other things, which you'll see in today's conversation. But we mostly focus on his personal story, how he got started stumbling into self-publishing to then generating that full-time living from self-publishing, and also why he continues to do more than just self-publish, even though he could live off his earnings. We also talk about some of Derek's mistakes and successes in the self-publishing space. So some things that will hopefully help you expedite your path forward to kind of achieving some nice returns from any self-publishing that you do. We also get in-depth on writing and publishing strategies, including the idea of starting with a keyword before you actually start writing and why you want to do that without losing sight of the value and the vision for your book as a whole and why that's kind of an iterative and circular process, but why it's so important. So my big takeaway from this, actually, of all the things we talk about and discover was why it's so important that you write to be clear and not to be clever. This goes for everything from copy and marketing to titles of your book to the content within your book. It's so important that you make sure that what you're saying is precisely clear and that you never sacrifice clarity to be clever. Why? Because it's clarity, it's being clear that will make somebody understand what you're saying and more likely to then purchase or follow you or sign up for your newsletter or engage with what you're doing. If you end up becoming too clever at the expense of being clear, you're going to lose almost any value you could possibly bring to the table. So always focus on being clear over being clever. So that's my big takeaway. And I think you're also going to find a lot more value in today's conversation with the different topics that we discuss. So without further ado, let's get to it. So Derek, let's start kind of at the beginning. How did you get into writing and self-publishing? And then we'll kind of get to more of the stuff you're doing today. Writing and self-publishing, it really came from a desire to start at some sort of online business. Because at the time, uh, this was back in about 2011, I moved to Los Angeles to become a rock star and had really no desire growing up and through college to start a business. I was totally the creative type, wanted to create music. But I realized uh, while I was sleeping on an air mattress and being a broke valet parker that that wasn't really going to pay the bills. So it was like, how can I create freedom for myself? And freedom seems to be one of the biggest values and themes that I see among entrepreneurs. So it's like, how can I have freedom to do what I love? And I started reading personal development books. I did a few things with some MLM companies for a bit, started studying about online marketing and business. And self-publishing specifically was somewhat of an accident. At this time, I had uh, started a blog uh, for health and fitness, which is what one of my main passions besides music, and was creating YouTube videos, trying to do affiliate marketing. Nothing was going anywhere. Uh, I was probably losing more money than I was, I was making, which isn't good when you're uh, when I was already broke to begin with. And one day, I, I posted a comment on a blog, and it won like this contest. They were going to choose a random, you know, commenter. And I got a Kindle e-reader as a prize. So I open up the mail, see this Kindle e-reader, and I'm like, you know, I know that some people are in this self-publishing space. I had heard about Kindle publishing. And so I thought, well, since I had already written a lot of content on a blog, what if I create a book? And I'll go through the story fairly quickly. Basically, my first book I put up there, kind of an experiment, sold maybe about three copies within the first couple months. And I was like, okay, but I was just getting used to it. Did the second book, and that sold made almost about a hundred dollars, not counting expenses though. And it took me months to write that book. 
So it was really cool, this idea that I could put a book out there. It's on Amazon. I could share it with my family and friends and people could see it, but it wasn't a big moneymaker. And I was kind of ready to throw in the towel on the self-publishing thing, be like, I tried that. I went through the courses, went through the books. It didn't really pan out. Fortunately, I went to a seminar, a man named Brandon Broadwater, and he taught me kind of I'd say somewhat the missing link for me, which wasn't about self-publishing. It was about relationship skills. It was about influence and about how to communicate more effectively. And it was those skills combined with some of the, you know, tangible tips on self-publishing when I combined it all together, plus all just the years of struggle and absorbing information and trial and error, I've decided to uh, publish a third book called 50 fitness tips. You wish you knew. And that was a breakthrough. It made almost $6,000 in 11 days, hit number one bestseller in weight loss. I'm like, this shouldn't happen. I'm like a broke ballet Parker. Who's going to read my book? I don't know. Maybe I'll give this a shot. And it ended up taking off. And that's a big lesson for many people is that, you know, you got to keep going. It would have all been a failure if I quit at any point. If you get the lessons and you value that and you keep building upon it, it was actually the first book I wrote that was like a 350 page guide that I could barely sell. That might've been seen like a failure, but I took a lot of that material and it actually went into the book that became a number one bestseller. So, I mean, we can get into the practical ways of turning failure into success. That was one big lesson that I learned is that if you value lessons more than successes, that's the key to keeping yourself going building upon even failures and not just like working through failures, but actually turning them into a success. And once I had that breakthrough, I knew I wanted to share with other, especially as aspiring authors and entrepreneurs, what were these things that I learned about how to become successful in self-publishing? And then over time, it expanded into entrepreneurship in general. Yeah, no, I think this is a fantastic story. So a quick question before we kind of get into it, those other books that didn't quite pan out the way you wanted, have they since started to generate revenue for you? And has that been a result of just continuing to write and publish? Uh, yes, they have. So the the very first book uh, was called Excuse Proof Fitness, and that didn't really do much. So that wasn't a big money generator in and itself. But like I said, the original version of it was 350 pages, like brain dump of everything I knew. And so... While that did not directly generate much money, it was still the stepping stone looking back. Like, I, well, I needed to put that information out there so I can then draw from it, which became blog posts, which became part of the books that did become successful, which helped me formulate my thoughts. So I look at it like a college education, right? A lot of people will spend years and tens of thousands of dollars in college and not see the payoff. In fact, probably go into debt uh, with that. We do it, many people do it because you recognize in our society, like that's your education, you invest in that and then you get the payoff later on. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, it took me a couple of years. Yeah, I put a lot of work into it, but I spent more years and a lot more money getting a college degree with not nearly the same level of, of payoff financially. So that first book was educational. The second book did called How to Stick to a Diet. That has generated more income and I don't know the numbers, but you know, over the past several years, it's been thousands, if not maybe even in the the tens of thousands at this point over the past, uh, I don't know, three, four years that it's eventually been able to earn because I did learn some things where I was able to improve the marketing of that. There is one other thing to point out though, and that is the good news is, and I think this is what you're getting at. You can always take something that 
maybe wasn't a breakthrough right at the start and put some more marketing juice into it or hey, you change some things. I got to, in this case, tweak the title or tweak the cover In other businesses. You might make some adjustments to the way you package it and all of a sudden it can take off. So there's absolutely that possibility, especially in the self-publishing world. And I also learned some more things about how you start with the end in mind. So how to stick to a diet. I was starting with the end in mind, but I got much better at really finding what do people want and going, what do people want? And then creating that uh, in the case of books, what book is going to become a bestseller and then go create that versus let me just create something and then figure out if there's a market for it. That's one of the big things uh, that especially beginning entrepreneurs, it becomes common sense over time. But for the creative types uh, like myself uh, that love to just create something, it's finding that balance between going, what do I want to create and also going, well, what is there a market for and making sure those two things really intersect? So my question is this, and I see this quite a bit in the self-publishing writing space, is that idea. It's like, hey, let's do market research before we write and publish a book. And I understand the sentiment because you shouldn't go in blind, especially if you're approaching it as a business, but also for the person who's like, well, this is an idea I feel like is worth sharing. How do you find that balance? Like, How do you make the decision like, yes, I should move forward and write this book versus no, I probably shouldn't? Or rather, what would be the criteria to decide that based on whatever somebody's goals or objectives are? Yeah, and great point, because one thing I'll say about the the book that did take off, I, let's say, maybe broke some rules. I did some things with that book that I didn't have, okay, to give a specific example, a lot of times uh, they were saying back in, this was 2012, you want to have like a keyword for your book title or something like that. And I just maybe call it intuition said, I don't really necessarily want to just do like some sort of keyword book title. I want to do something that seems more psychologically compelling. Or I was kind of going, let me just do what I really feel seems right, intuitively feels right, even if it's not exactly what some of the gurus or the courses said. And I believe that is part of it. There's that art side where you a little bit break the rules or go against maybe what you know everyone else is doing because if you only do that then it's going to become imitation it's going to become you know a knockoff sort of book so what we're getting at here is we want innovation and innovation is a combination of two things i say it's imitation plus creation equals innovation so to explain that imitation is going what's out there what does the market want what are people already buying and you fit into that but if that's all a person does, whether as an author or in any type of business, then it becomes really just a knockoff product, right? It's just what everyone else is doing. And by the time something has already become widespread and mainstream, the people that are really going to have a big breakthrough are already on the cutting edge. They're the ones that are doing something that isn't the big thing yet. If you think about the biggest companies, Apple doesn't just – they're the trailblazer, not just the trail follower. So it takes the second part, which is creation, and that is adding your own twist. Sometimes that's going with your intuition and knowing what, what you might want to do different or how you add your own style to it so it stands out. So it's this harmony between fitting in and standing out and then needing both, which becomes a little paradoxical. And to your question, well, how do you find that balance or how do you know kind of which one to go with either? And this is where – I mean, I could say something like intuition, but that's not a very practical thing. The practical way we develop intuition, though, is through experience. And so it's through, I really think that there was something to be said for spending a couple years 
in the marketplace, being a book buyer or being a consumer of products and courses and trainings where you develop your intuition. It's just like in martial arts. So in martial arts, as a white belt, you got to learn all the way up through the belt. So you kind of learn all the techniques. But by the time you become a black belt, it's like almost sort of forget the techniques and just all the rules sort of go out. And same thing with music. You learn all the music theory and then it reaches a point where you learn to let go of the, you know, the rules and learn how to break it. The key thing is, especially for entrepreneurs, sometimes they want to skip that. They want to, you know, jump right into let me do my own thing. And they haven't learned the basic foundational things. So it's like, don't try and reinvent the wheel. What this means is I would say for up and coming entrepreneurs and people who are just getting into this, learn what already works. Don't reinvent the wheel, follow proven formulas. And then as you get competent at that, that's where it becomes an experimentation. What if I do this? What if I add this twist? What if I take something out and put something in for a real in-depth study of this? I'd recommend the book blue ocean, uh, you know, the blue ocean strategy, which is all about how you create new market space and innovate. But the mindset behind it is follow what works, follow the proven paths, get efficient at that, and then bring in your own things, which means this is why we hear so much about failure is that you're probably a lot of the experiments aren't going to work. You're going to try things. You're going to do things that don't necessarily pan out. And the practical side of that is then the more you can test things with minimal investment, generally speaking, the better. So this is why you know, running surveys, doing market research, all of those things help you test an idea where you can say, what if I take five title ideas, three of them are fairly conventional, but two of them are going to be a little off the wall. And let me try to find something that's that balance between what's already out there and something that's new, where it's not so new, people don't even understand what it is, but it's also not so let's say traditional that people go, oh, I've seen that a million times. And it's a, it's an art, it's a science. And it's why the mindset is so important because you can't listen to someone who's going to give you the path for you to take. You can model success. You can learn from others, but ultimately it's going to be, if you want to be a leader, there's an element of following the trail up to a certain point and then blazing a new trail, in which case you only have tools like a compass or the things to somewhat guide you. You're not going to have someone say this is exactly what you need to do all throughout your journey because all they're doing is giving you maybe what worked for someone else, what worked for another business that's already been successful, that's already done that. As soon as you want to do something new and innovative, that means going off and having that courage and that willing to risk, take some calculated risk in order to find what that path is that's unique to you. I love that. So, Derek, how many of your I probably lost track of that a little bit. I know I've had seven books that have become bestsellers. When I say bestseller, the, the word gets thrown around a lot. So those are, I consider it number one bestseller, usually in a competitive category like self-help or health and fitness. So I know seven books, but I have a few more books that I've published that haven't put as much like those first couple, the first book that didn't really do much. And I also have Last I counted, I think six courses uh, that I've created. So I've created more things than I can keep track of even at this point. The great thing is once you get the process down, you get momentum. It becomes so much easier to somewhat rinse and repeat. And that's one of the challenges for many creative types is it's like, let me try this. Now, let me try this. Let me try this. And you don't get that mastery of any one particular process. So I'm totally the 
the renaissance type of person that loves doing a lot of different things. And I think there is a place for that. And at the same time, it does need to be balanced with developing a certain skill set or mastery so you can repeat because it's a lot easier once you've learned how to have one successful book to have a second one or one successful online course to create another one versus, well, let me try a book. Well, let me try a course. Well, let me try doing webinars. Let me try doing podcasts and this, but not getting any traction in any one of those things. Yeah. So your big thing is it's book publishing and that's kind of your, that's your bread and butter. I would say book publishing, certainly when I first started out and even now it's a good source of income. And then it translated into online courses and coaching as well. The good thing is this is uh, a whole nother topic, but how do you diversify without spreading yourself too thin? So it is partly, you know, getting your thing down. In my case, it was publishing books and, and gaining some mastery over that, but it's also translating skills from one area to another. So a book is different than an online course. It is different than a, a live talk. There's so many things you can learn about, let's say communication from writing a book that can be translated into doing courses that can be translated into speaking. So when you understand what your core skill set is that transcends all of that, in this case, for me, it's teaching. Then I go, oh, I teach through books. I teach through speaking. I teach through courses. They each have their own nuances, but it becomes a much broader umbrella, if you will. So that's one of the things, and I know Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this, like knowing yourself, really understanding what your skill sets are and what you're good at. Some people, they might publish books, but they're not the writers. They just get ghostwriters and they're really good at organizing and managing people. So they manage the different pieces. Cool. I personally prefer to actually teach. So I like coaching and book writing. This is why I get to that concept that it's not having this one path that every single person needs to follow is understanding yourself enough that you know what to take from people from podcasts like this and what to absorb, like the Bruce Lee approach, absorb what's useful, reject what's useless, and then make it your own. So that's the mentality that I recommend. Yeah. And I was having a conversation with somebody recently and I really appreciated it in his, his ideas where he said, speed is a strategy. And he went on to explain how he organizes his life in a certain way so he can get better and better at something. And I think what's interesting is you can do that in a multitude of ways. I think the only thing that where it doesn't work is if you just literally just spread yourself thin doing all sorts of different things. But I think you can apply that strategy, this idea of like organizing the thing that you do, even if it's in different um, genres, like I know you write in several, just the, the process of writing and publishing is kind of getting really good at that. So I would, maybe I'm being presumptuous here, but I would assume that you can write and publish very quickly, that you can create prolifically, and that that's been a, a skill set that you've developed through the process of writing and publishing. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that and kind of just habit formation and skill building through the process of like, you know, creating a practice around what you do. Yeah. One of the quotes that I heard when I first got into business was money loves speed. Now, for me, I tend to be on the side of, analyzing things. And I've, I know there's a number of entrepreneurs out there who it's like, you really like to think through things and get things, you know, all the ducks in a row before getting into something. It's somewhat of a balance and a harmony where there is a place for obviously calculating things and being prepared. And then there's also a, a place for that ready, fire, aim approach. This is where, once again, it's not like one or the other, because one can work great in one situation, then totally backfire in another situation. But speed, when I look back at the most successful things, I do see a component of speed. And that book that became uh, my first number one bestseller, I went from idea to number one on Amazon chart in three weeks. 
that meant nothing written to a complete book in about a week to preparing the pre-launch in about the next week to having it live and then number one within about three maybe it was less than four weeks so maybe the three to four week mark now the thing is some people could look at that and be like oh you just can publish a write and publish a book and have it become number one bestseller in three weeks it's like yeah so the reason i was able to do that was because of what you mentioned skill building at this point, I had spent a couple years, you know, writing and already creating content that I was able to draw upon and reword some things. And so because I had that process down, that allowed me to act much quicker. So as you get into business, this is where the idea of creating templates or creating standard operating procedures comes in handy. And I wasn't thinking standard operating procedures, but what I was unconsciously doing was when I wrote a started writing a book, I already got used to a certain format for the writing, a certain way I would start a chapter and trans and go into the next part and then end it. And I didn't have to think about that as much each time. So when you're creating something, as you get better and better at something you can, or even when you're first learning, you get templates, you get formulas, not to totally get stuck in them, but it takes a lot of that thought out and then it just becomes a matter of starting to fill in some of the blanks, which gets you that speed and helps you get things out there quicker. You know, I, I completely agree. And it's funny because I'm, I'm the opposite when it comes to that. And I say that I agree because I've done it the opposite way for so long that I finally have come to recognize the value of templates and the value of just somebody who's already gone through and built out something that works, like whether it's a framework or a blueprint or whatever, or template, because chances are they've gone through the hard work of figuring it out. And it's like literally why reinvent the wheel? Yeah. And for me, it was one of those things where it didn't used to be this way, but I lean on that side of, I don't want to feel restricted. I want to feel like I can just kind of make it like, I always want to just make up my own thing, right? Each time it's got to be something new and different, like that novelty seeking thing. And what I realized was that I actually was following templates. Like I said, just unconsciously I was doing it. And then what helped me was actually, and this is something for, uh, for you to do when you're listening to this, go, what are the things that I, I continuously do? And can I create a playbook for myself? So I did that. And this is a, a awesome way to get leverage is I did that by creating courses. I go, what do I do? I don't want to create a, like, you know, standard operating procedures. I've heard sit down and write, you know, your stand SOPs out. Like that sounds like the most boring thing in the world. What's entertaining for me though is creating a course. Well, wait a second, creating a course that takes you step by step through the exact process I follow is the standard operating procedure. Just I can actually get, it's fun because now I, I'm not just doing it as some boring work task. I'm doing it because it's now something you can get paid for when you do that. You get to leverage, uh, in my case, this is the passion for teaching. So that's a whole nother concept that I call case study mindset. And that is create something as if you need to teach someone else how you do what you do. Yes. And when you do that, not only does it help you, but you literally are creating an asset that you can sell. And so you're getting paid to make your own life easier and make the life easier uh, for other people. I completely agree. I, and that's one of the things I realized that I think people typically do come to me and let me know that I'm a good writer. And so sometimes I kind of don't want to accept that because I feel like I struggle so much with writing. And so while I might not be a proficient, like good at like producing the stuff fast, because I think I'm very, very slow writer. I think one of the things where I've benefited from is that I believe that when I write, I should be so crystal clear. Anybody should be able to pick it up and just follow along. And that's kind of my litmus test for, have I written something that I think is worthwhile to publish, especially in the nonfiction space, right? I know 
fiction, I don't even dabble there anymore. But like when it's nonfiction, anything business related, anything training related, any how to's, that's what I focus on. And it's crazy. It's like, you don't even have to be a fantastic writer if you can just articulate your ideas very clearly and simply. And there's a lot of power in that. And, and people really, really like that. And you're also describing something that is, I'll use the word mindset and I'll just explain mindset here a little bit. Mindset isn't like you got to work on your mindset because it's about motivation. Mindset can be a lot of different approaches that you take to, in this case, writing where your mindset is, how do I teach and communicate clearly? Which often means, like you said, it's simple. It's not about trying to use big words and sound like a good writer. It's almost the more you can imagine like talking to a five-year-old or 10-year-old, like if I can explain this to a 10-year-old, it's going to work for adults. But if you have to have like some really high level degree to even understand what I'm describing, then, you know, might work in some situations, but many times it's not the most compelling writing. So what you do is you just put on that mindset of it's really getting outside yourself into a place of service. How would I teach someone this? And that's such an important thing as, as an entrepreneur is really thinking about how am I being of service? What problems am I solving? How can I help someone? And that gets us out of the whole, well, I don't know if I'm a good writer. Who's going to want to listen to me? A lot of the self-doubt that I know I went through and people that I have spoken to go through, which is that like, well, either who am I to do this or it's things like, I don't feel like I'm good enough or worthy enough or I don't have the skills enough. It's like you drop all that when it's like, you know what? Someone needs my help. I know I can teach it to them. Might have to craft my words a little bit, but I know I have some information or some product or service that can help someone. That's just what I'm going to focus on. And when you do that, you go, wait a second, people aren't sitting there going, how is the grammar and the punctuation and his word choice and all that? They're not thinking that. They're just going, is this helping me? And if the answer is yes, then mission accomplished. I love it. So Derek, with where you're at now in your publishing, is it something you could actually just like stop working and make enough money where you could just kind of subsist on that? And I ask that because I'm sure that's like some people are thinking about, that's one of the things that's like, a, you know, maybe interesting or intoxicating idea is could I create like passive income from this? So give us kind of your perspective on that. And if that's the case, why you still keep doing the work that you're doing. Yeah. So in terms of publishing, it's, I have a number of different things that are associated with publishing. So I have book sales, which are book sales, print book, ebook, audio books, and I can consistently make a couple thousand a month from that. Now, if I published a lot more books, I could probably raise that up to a really good, nice passive income. My passion though is also more in my courses. So that's the other chunk of my income and my coaching. So it all, it has become multiple streams of income for me. It once again goes to that knowing yourself type of thing where I do see the potential and I know other authors who if you just want to start cranking out books, that is possible to make a full-time income. Now I say that with a huge caveat that that's not typical. That's usually someone who has spent years and is willing to invest years into really building up that business. For many people I've seen, it makes more sense that a book or a couple books is a support for a much bigger business, which is their coaching, which is uh, exposure for their brand and brand building, which might be exposure for a way to get people into your funnel for workshops and retreats and all kinds of other things. So that's my model is that the self-publishing is great. It's a nice chunk of, of income. And with things like advertising, it can become somewhat passive. I don't spend a lot of time doing book marketing, but it's also maybe one leg of a stool 
where it's like you got that leg, you got the leg of courses and got another leg of, of coaching. I would say those are my three primary pillars of income. To get to the bigger question of those who are going, well, can I create an online business? Are they, one of the questions is what's typical, right? And when it comes to what's typical with starting an online business or business in general, most businesses fail. A lot of online businesses fail. A lot of people either don't get started or they quit or all those sorts of things. And if a person goes, what's typical, what you're probably going to see with not just business, but virtually anything in life, you're going to see little to no results. It's like on the weight loss commercials, results not typical, right? And one of the the dangerous mindsets that really takes people out is they go, well, what's average? What's typical? What can I uh, reasonably expect? And if that's the mindset, it's like, well, what's typical is probably failure. The more empowering question is going, what's possible? And I go, if there's some people out there who have been able to be successful in self-publishing and it, it feels like something that I really want to do, well, as long as I know it's possible, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And when I went in with that mindset, even though the first couple books failed and I'm going like, am I screwing this up? Does this not really work? All I had to do is go, wait a second. Some people are being successful and they didn't start out with it all handed to them. They had to create it from more or less scratch. So if they can do it, I can do it. And it's that continuous going towards what's possible, even though it's rare, even though it's exceptional, that's what gets you through that sort of, there's this threshold where uh, if it wasn't hard, yeah, most people would have that success. So it's embracing the fact that it's going to be challenges, embracing the fact that there's going to be obstacles that take a lot of other people out of the game. And that's what allows you when you have that determination to kind of rise above the rest of the competition and get through to that exceptional place. If anything, now with something like self-publishing, the fact that it's so, I don't want to say easy to minimize how much, you know, sometimes challenging it can be to publish a book. But if you look at the self-publishing space today, it's so accessible that it actually becomes harder in a sense because it's like so many people can do it. It reaches a point where it's like I like the areas, for instance, audiobooks where not as many people know how to do it and do it. It's like that's great that it has that extra little challenge because it means it's going to weed out so many people and it's all the more opportunity for you when you know you do have that determination now to, to push through and to make it happen. Once again, that comes to knowing yourself. What are you committed to? What are you willing to go all in on? I like that, man. I have definitely have adopted the same mindset. So I, I resonate with everything you just said. So here's an, another question is, how do you decide where to prioritize your time? If you're saying you're doing books, you're doing courses, you're doing coaching, you're, I know you're also speaking on stage now and trying to get more speaking gigs. That's a lot of stuff. How do you approach that when it comes to saying, this is the thing I'm going to focus on right now. And how do you do that when you're actually kind of balancing a number of projects? One of the things it comes back to, and I can full disclosure say that is the challenge for me at times. So it's not like I got, oh, here's the perfect formula. It is a wake up and really going, how can I prioritize what's most important right now? What I will say is the idea of not having enough time, fortunately for me is, first of all, not something I said to myself <laughs> when I got into this. I changed that language from, you know, what's a priority because we don't have time. We all basically have 24 hours. So it's actually not a time thing. It is a priority thing for me, like you said. And the good thing is for something like publishing and book sales, that has become a very low time investment for me because there's so much momentum or it's so 
systemized and all the things are kind of set up that I don't really do much for book promotion more than maybe a couple hours a month. So right there, that's become something that's, it's not set forget, but relatively passive. So this is where it's important to go. Where are you at on the journey? Because when I first started out, I was putting a lot more energy into that to get it going. Now that that's set, then I go, okay, yes, there's these books out there, but it's really not a big investment. So that frees up more space to do something like course creation. With course creation, I have webinars that I've dialed in. I have the courses, the offer, all that stuff's been created. So now it's like maybe tweaking and optimizing a little bit. Once again, you know, a few hours a month maybe for some of that. So the big picture thing is you get things set and once they're working well and they don't take as much time investment, it's just like a habit. Once the habit's in place, it doesn't take as much thought. It doesn't take as much energy. It just, it runs. You still want to keep it going because I say if it's not growing, it's dying. That's a common phrase in the personal development world. If you're not growing, you're dying. And your business, if it's, if you're not growing something, it's, you know, regressing. So it does take some continuous upkeep, but now that allows me to go, okay, what is my next big project? For me, that is an online group in consulting and speaking, in which case that's where I go, okay, that's how I prioritize my time. That's the main thing. And that's where I can typically start my day or start, keep my focus on uh, those uh, particular things. I love it, Derek. Well, I've always appreciated your mindset, uh, how you approach these particular topics. I've really enjoyed our time spent together in person as well, because I think you are a person who's not just preaching it, but practicing what you preach. So with that said, where can people reach out to find you to learn more about you, maybe buy some of your books or, or check out more about what you're doing? Yeah. And same to you, Tom. I love what you've been doing. I've been following your work for years and it's awesome to be able to, to connect and, and share things back and forth. Find out more about me. It's uh, main website is derekdepker.com. Has an interesting spelling. It's D-E-R-E-K-D-O-E-P-K-E-R. Uh, you can also go, uh, easiest thing to remember is excuseproof.com slash free offer. And that's where you can download the book, Why You're Stuck. And so this helps not only if you're feeling stuck, but if you're the entrepreneur who's like, what's next? I've, I've done something. And when I wrote this book, I was kind of facing that challenge of, okay, I've done some things, but I know I'm meant to make a bigger impact. And I felt stuck trying to figure out how I was going to scale or how I was going to take it to the next level or make a bigger difference in the world, which was, I didn't get into, but that was actually one of the most challenging times in my life because I was overwhelmed options. And I just ended up getting stuck with paralysis by analysis and not knowing how I could make a bigger difference. So once again, the book's Why You're Stuck. It's a free copy of the book, although it does sell on Amazon and that's excuseproof.com slash free offer. Awesome. Derek, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Really appreciate this conversation with you today. Yeah. Thanks again, Tom.